Please join me in prayer to God as we seek to listen to his word. Let us pray. Eternal God, through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, your kingdom has broken into our troubled world. Help us now to hear your word and give us grace to respond in faithful obedience that our lives might be signs of the new life given through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Listen to God's word for us. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter and the first 11 verses. It is the temptation story of Jesus. Listen now for God's word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, <coughs> excuse me, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you may not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, and said to him, all these I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, the verse just before the one I started with, God speaks. And God declares that this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God was endorsing and supporting and backing the baptism of Jesus. And then the very next verse reads this way. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Bang. Baptism, temptation. One right after the other. One coming right on the heels of the other one. We have no idea what the time frame was between the baptism and the temptations of Christ. But what was important was that the author of Matthew felt that if you need to know about Jesus, you need to have these two stories. One about his baptism, one about his temptations. And they need to be side by side with each other. The other fact is that the Greek word for temptation also means testing. Now, I think temptation connotes something kind of risque, something sexy, something rather dramatic. Testing, though, is something that happens to us every day of our lives, of your life, of my life, being tested all the time on various kinds of things, which I think drives home the point even more about the baptism and the temptations being side by side. For one who is baptized and commits to Jesus Christ is going to be tested on a regular basis. There's a connection between your baptism and the temptations and the tests that you will face in daily life. And if your baptism doesn't in any way help you deal with those temptations, then I wonder what its value is. And if you say you are not being tested, then you need to look again. For all of us are tested regularly about our Christian faith. So I invite you to join me to see what these tests of Jesus might say to us about him, about us, and about our own relationship with the Christ. Now I'm not sure about you, but I just have always found it curious that it talks about the Spirit of God leading Jesus to the wilderness to be tested. It just seems that's all backwards. Why would Jesus, why would God put Jesus through tests when he was this one and the same? It's just never made sense to me. And then it finally dawned on me. Who else would you want to be with you when you're going through trials and tribulations than the Holy Spirit? So I finally realized that Jesus was being accompanied by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness The Holy Spirit, of course, did not do the testing. He was just with him. The Spirit was with Christ during the trials and tribulations. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. 
So this first verse in chapter 4 of Matthew, I think, is a word of grace. To realize we are not alone. To realize we don't walk through the valleys by ourselves. To realize that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the solutions. That we're always accompanied by God's Spirit. The Spirit that conjoles us and pushes us and challenges us. And it may be that the Spirit comes to you through a word of encouragement from a friend. It may be the Spirit comes to you when a door is closed in your face and that's not where the Spirit wants you to go. It may be that the Spirit of God comes to you when you don't have an answer and can't give an answer and God wants you to take some breathing room in order to see what is the right opportune answer for you. God's Spirit being with us in times of testing is not all that bad. In fact, it's good news. And it enables us to have a sense of comfort as well of courage. Now to the temptations or the testing of Jesus. Realize these are just three tests that we know about in Scripture that happen from the devil. But these are not the only tests of Jesus' ministry. This was not like a final exam to see if Jesus qualified, if he really was Messiah, if he really did make it. No, I think these tests are just setting the stage of what a life of faith is all about. For facing tests as a Christian is the norm. Facing temptations as a Christian is part of our DNA. Because we're constantly being challenged about whether God is really Lord of my life, whether God is really sovereign, whether God really is in charge, or whether we think we have some say in all of this. Now I think the devil is pretty slick in his approach. He kind of hits Jesus right out of the box with two things. He first of all says, if you're the son of God, picking up on his baptism in the previous verses, then turn these stones into loaves of bread. He's trying to see if Jesus will bite. He got to Jesus through his ego, is this your title? And Jesus had just gone through 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. He was hungry. So the devil got to Jesus through his ego and through his stomach. And yet Jesus comes back to the devil and says, You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. To be satisfied and to be filled means that you listen to the word of God. For it is satisfying, it's fulfilling, it's all that one ever needs. But my question is, what do we feed on? Oftentimes we feed on get-rich schemes, thinking it's going to solve our financial problems in our lives, and so we grab them real quickly. Or else we go play the lottery day after day, thinking that's going to be our ship coming in at some point. Other times we listen to these incredible ads on television about how you can control your weight and how they'll provide meals for you or even deliver to your front door. Instead of dealing with the fact that we need to eat healthily and take care of ourselves. We also feed on the gossip mill. The gossip mill that goes on and on and we add to it and contribute to it and it grows bigger and bigger and finally it just destroys somebody else. 
We're nowadays feeding off of slogans and spins of politicians and getting in line with whoever we think is right instead of looking behind the issue to see what really is the issue at hand. It's God's word that feeds us completely. It's God's word that calls us to be righteous, to be in right relationship with God, that is doing God's will, and in right relationship with one another. Sometimes we have to be courageous and speak the truth in love to a friend that may be difficult to do. But what do we have to lose? The Holy Spirit is with us. And if our motive is good, we're simply being faithful and God will take what we do for God's glory. The second temptation moves from feeding us to the whole issue of, of, of testing of God. And again, I think the devil's rather slick. The devil says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, and asking him again. But then the devil turns around and quotes back to Jesus some scripture that Jesus had just quoted to him. In reading this passage, I think I could like the devil. He's pretty slick in what he does, uses great techniques, knows how to get to people and get his way. He's committed to his way of doing things. You know, the word devil means deceiver. And so the devil is all about being deceptive and saying things not that are honest or not that are accurate or not that are clear, but that are deceptive in order to have his way and to have his will using every manipulative technique he can find to try to trip up Jesus. And Jesus responds, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I think this temptation probably comes a little close to home for many of us. Sometimes we really put God to the test to see if God really does qualify. We're subtle about it, Sometimes we're even deceptive about it, but we still test out God as Jesus is saying we're not to. Lord, show me that my ex really has forgiven me. Lord, I can't take this cancer anymore. If you're the divine physician, heal me. God, if you'll provide some more financial resources, we don't have to live from paycheck to paycheck. I come to church, I come to worship, I pray, and I see no results. Lord, where have you been when I have constantly called on you and no response? And Lord, in this tragic experience I've just gone through, help me with making sense out of it because I feel so empty and so lonely. And sometimes I don't think we ever utter a word testing God because our hearts have become so hardened to God that we really are not willing to see God's hand at work. We have hardened our hearts so that we cannot even see God doing something in our lives. Yet it seems to me that again the Holy Spirit is with us, that God will show us a way, that God will give us direction, it may not be the direction we want, and it sure won't be on the timeline that we want it on because we want it yesterday. 
But nevertheless, God will provide. God is always with us. God has never failed us. And so why do we need to test God when God is there for us? First of all, what do you feed on? What do you listen to? Who influences you? Where do you get your news in terms of how you live your life? Secondly, what about this testing of God? The God that created you and the God that made you and the God that keeps you all the day long. Why is it you keep testing God who always lives up to God's promises? But the third temptation is about power. Satan said, if you just fall down and worship me, I'll give you control over all the kingdoms and all of their incredible splendor. A curious discovery I made this week in looking at this is that the verb tense of to fall down and to worship simply means that Satan was saying, just do it one time. Not all the time, just do it once. Just bow down once and tell me how good I am and what good things I've done for you and how important I am. Just acknowledge my power. Just bow down one time. And just imagine what that would cause. For how in the world can you serve two masters? For Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. The God we worship does not stand for competition. And when you think about it, it makes a great deal of sense. For how can you serve two masters? Jesus later in his ministry will declare, you cannot serve God and mammon. Yet I think we trick ourselves into thinking we could do that. We can have multitask. We can have multi-masters. Oh, I can take care of my addiction to this alcohol and drug thing and still have a great family in which we're all one with each other. I can manage an 80-hour work week because I'm doing it for the sake of the family whom I never see. I'm making lots of money and storing up lots of money for our family for the future. In the process, I'm missing all the activities that the kids are involved in and they're growing up. And I can kind of play with my health and eat and drink what I want to do even though I've got diabetes and it's going to eventually get me. You see, worshiping the Lord your God and serving him alone grounds us. It gives us stability. It ensures that the resources of our faith are there when we go through rough patches and are also there when we go through exhilaratingly positive times as well. For in our focus on God, we're able to see ourselves even more clearly. This past Friday, I went to a memorial service for a very dear friend who died suddenly about three weeks ago on Sunday. No one expected it. It kind of blew all of us away. It was a very hard service because no one thought we'd be sitting there on Friday afternoon for that service. And going over to the fellowship hall for a reception afterwards, one of the people I was walking with said, how in the world do people deal with things like this who have no faith, who have no God? And I said, I don't know. I don't know how it's possible. I don't know if I could do it without having someone like God Almighty to hold to, to get me through the hard times as well as the good times in life. 
It seems to me that on this first Sunday in Lent, to have the story of the temptations of Christ is very appropriate. For the story is really about you and me. It's also about Jesus, but it really is about us. And how we deal with testing and how we deal with temptations. And it's not just a story that is good for the next 40 days until Easter Sunday morning. It's a story about all of life. For us to remember that the word of God is all that we need and is the real bread of life. For us to remember that there's no need in testing God for God is there for us and God is there with us all the time. And to remember that when we worship and serve God alone, our lives are complete, they're whole, they're exactly what they were created to be. So as we go through this Lenten season, remember one thing, God's Spirit accompanies us in all times, even in the testing of life. For there are numerous tests and ones that we cannot avoid, yet we're not alone. And Jesus was not alone either, for God was there and God is here. Let us pray. Eternal God, we resist temptations and tests. We just don't want to deal with it because it gets real messy. We're also not sure how we'd end up. But, oh God, we call upon your spirit to truly be with us as we face life, face this journey of faith, face what it means to be your disciple. And as we do that, remind us and refresh us again that your spirit is present and we need not go alone, for you're always with us. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.